Hello, and welcome to the Still to be Determined podcast, the podcast that follows up on topics from the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell. I'm Sean Farrell. I'm a writer. I'm the older brother, and I ate raw garlic this morning with my breakfast, so I apologize. <laughs> with me is Matt Farrell. Matthew, say hello. Hello, everybody. Hi. As usual, wanted to remind everybody that there are a number of ways to support the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate our listeners. We appreciate our viewers on YouTube. We appreciate all the commenters, the subscribers. And if you'd like to support the podcast directly, as some of our listeners have been, you can visit stilltbd.fm. There's a link in the middle of that page that will help you find the jar on the bar that lets you throw some coins in. Some of the recent comments in our last episode have been a fun take on... Uh, some of the questions I raised, there was one from Roger Starkey. He pointed out that my confusion around what a replacement for a combustion generator would be, a solar generator, which I couldn't figure out what that would be. And Roger pointed out, Sean, in the RV off-grid market, units now described as solar generators consist of a portable lithium battery pack combined with an inverter to convert DC to AC. The generator is connected to the rooftop solar on the vehicle. Thank you, Roger, for filling that in for me. Thank so, you, Roger. Thank you, Roger. <laughs> Zachariah Stovall wrote, and this was going back to the Sterling engine, haven't heard of this before. Seems like a cool project to do. Making one myself. Making one yourself, Zachariah. I hope you reach back out with the results of what you're building. I think that building one of these sounds really cool. And I would love to know what sort of progress you, you make in that. We also got a comment from Bill Busser who had responded previously to my reception to WandaVision as I made my way through the series. And he had written previously that he was having trouble finishing the first episode. And I had tried to give him a little nudge to keep going because the show definitely picks up steam. And Bill wrote most recently Thanks for responding on my WandaVision comment. I'm partially through episode two, which I was going to finish last night till I decided to pivot and rewatch some of my favorite Mandalorian episodes. Update, I finished episode two and burned through the next few episodes and now on episode five. So nice. Keep going. We yeah. believe in you, Bill. <laughs> it keep going. Yeah, you can do it. You can do it. And the final comment that I wanted to point out, this one just tickled me because... Sometimes Matt and I will talk offline about getting older. And this was yeah. a comment that really made me feel like, oh, oh, I'm getting old. <laughs> Jerry Cash wrote, <laughs> who is Peabody? Who is Sherman? <laughs> yeah. How did it feel old in yeah. one, one yeah. sentence? For those <laughs> who don't go. know, Peabody and his human pet Sherman were a time-traveling dog and the human boy who assists him. So that's who Peabody and Sherman yeah, we were. grew up yeah. watching that. They're an old Rocky and Bullwinkle era set of characters. Yeah. So today's episode... We're going to focus on exploring Hyperloop, the future of renewable public transport. Question mark? I always, always have trouble mark. starting the titles as a question. 
Hence, yeah. I, I end up with actually just saying the question. question mark. This is from March 23rd, <laughs> 2021. And at the beginning of your episode, Matt, you say, would you like to, and it's ride in a tube inside a vehicle traveling 200 miles per hour faster than a plane, a 747, I believe you say. Yeah, 747. Um, yeah. So the short answer is no. Exactly. <laughs> it sounds no, terrifying. It to sounds me. absolutely terrifying. Uh, there's also the reference to within Musk's own approach to the the work of the research around this, comparing it to air hockey. And that comparison yeah. does not lend itself to thinking, oh, that sounds like a great idea. To go because ping pong around the air the board. hockey pucks, <laughs> yeah. nobody's really in control of that. And ultimately, <laughs> if you're not watching what you're doing, you're going to break a finger. I think anybody who's played air <laughs> hockey for any amount of time has had that moment where you didn't realize your finger has slipped over the edge of the table onto the field of play. And when that puck gets you, it's going to get you. So, so is that the tagline of Hyperloop? Hyperloop. You're going to break Hyperloop. <laughs> Hyperloop. You might just be the puck. Um, <laughs> the, the video is a fascinating vision of, you, you said it yourself a number of times. It's a sci-fi future. All of the, the video. Yeah. And I, and I want to briefly mention your video is full of high-end, well-rendered sci-fi imagery, which you get from companies that are currently working on this research. And yeah, all the, com all the companies that are doing this, that are trying to build these, they have all these crazy promo videos. And so we pulled all that stuff from their promo material right. because it's the perfect illustration of what they're right. trying to do. It does seem very minority report, very, uh, AI. It's a, it's a future that looks like, um, I mean, they, they've intentionally created a look that says like, this is 15, 20 years away. This is, they want it to look like the recognizable world. Um, right out of the gate, I found myself thinking the, the logistics behind whether or not you can do a thing, the technology that would go into actually building these tubes. And there are other, places to look into this research, the, the, the arguments about, is this even possible? And some of the comments in the video referenced some of those places that you can, you can look for counter argument videos against the, the idea of this, but that's not what I wanted to get into. What I wanted to get into is let's say that there's a company that's able to build this hyperloop in the way that they envisioned tomorrow. Mm -hmm. What I kept stumbling on was just the two things. You would either need to have an insane amount of real estate to make this yes. work, which is one tremendous hurdle. It's massive. massive. If this was yeah. to be an above ground tube that was to run from, just take one of the smaller ones that they've talked about, connecting two cities. 
instead of it being a nationwide yeah. network. They sh- you had the images of, of the national vision where it's got input from New York City that runs all the way down to, I believe it was Dallas, and then from Dallas over to the West Coast. Let's not even look at that one. Let's look at the smaller scale, let's just say San Francisco to Los Angeles. If it's an above ground tube, you have to get real estate to connect the entire length of that part of California. There's then the not in my backyard arguments of not wanting a tube like that. Can you use existing rail yards and rail lines potentially? Maybe, but the construction of this thing would be so massive, you wouldn't be able to limit the construction zone to just that. You couldn't say, well, here's a rail line. We'll just build the thing above it because the construction equipment would need so much more room than just that line. So that's a hurdle. So that's one line of of thinking that made me think like, how would you even possibly start that argument? And on the other yeah. side, going underground, New York City went through, I forget how many years it was, 15, 20. Much of the time I've lived in New York City, this project of building a new subway line beneath Manhattan was underway. It was delayed a number of times. It was one of the biggest construction projects in New York City history. The size of the tunnel that was built was enormous. And it ended up being about one-fifth as long as they originally wanted it to be. They wanted it to be a major line that would connect regions of the city that did not have subway access. And it ended up creating a line that's much shorter than what they wanted. So it's billions of dollars over cost over a longer period of time than anticipated for less impact than was desired. And on top of all of that, you're talking about a place like California where earthquakes are a problem. I can't help but think. (laughs) Well, tunnels are actually very safe for earthquakes. Like Elon's actually talked about that, how, they're structurally very strong. And if you're in the middle of an earthquake, you actually do want to be in a tunnel underground. It's actually one of the safest places you could probably be. So that side of it doesn't scare me. But like you're pointing out a really, like I live in Massachusetts near Boston, the big dig, which is something here where it took, I think it was almost a decade longer than expected. It went over budget by like three, four right. times. It was just a, a boondoggle to a whole new level. Um, now that it's done, it's great. But by the time they finished it, which was supposed to like open up all this traffic and stuff, by the time they finished it, the traffic had grown so much that we're still at right. capacity because the new capacity is already full. So there's like so many problems with this kind of stuff where I kind of tried to hammer that home in the video. It's like I didn't touch on the whole eminent domain and like getting the property rights to even build these things above ground because it just seems kind of obvious to me. So I just kind of like skimmed across it, but I kind of hammered home the costs of like where Elon was like, Oh, it's going to be about X amount of dollars. Like I can't remember how many billions of dollars he said it would be per mile. But in reality, these companies that are actually trying to do it, it's like even their estimates are way higher than what he was predicting. 
And then just based on what you're talking about in New York and what I've experienced here in Boston, you know that that price is going to be even yeah. bigger because it's like you don't know what you don't know until you yeah. try to do it. And so it's just one of those costs are just going to be exorbitant. And the it, it, just think about like um, maglev trains in Japan. We've been trying to build bullet trains here in the US for decades and we still don't have one. Because it's just, there's so much, so many logistics and so many like little edge cases that you'd have to deal with just between the different states and cities and to build it. It's like, if we can't do a maglev train, do you really think we're going to be able to get a Hyperloop done in the United States? It's like, just from logistics, it's like, no. It's like, you're going to see this stuff probably in Korea and Japan before you'd see it here because we just, we can't get, we can't get a, we can't come together in that kumbaya moment to agree. Yeah, let's do this thing because it's going to be better for everybody. Um, it's just, yeah, I, that's part of the reason I skimmed across that a little bit. The other side of when you brought up the building on top of tracks, I didn't bring this up in the video either because once again, it felt like you might be whipping a dead horse. But uh, these hyperloops can't do sharp turns. God help you because if, try. <laughs> if you're going. Yeah, if you're going 700 miles an hour, you can't just go whoop and do like a hard right. It has to be very gradual, slow arcing turns because of the speeds you're going at. And imagine the G-forces you'd be exerting on the people inside yeah. the tubes. So it's like you, there's all these things about you wouldn't be able to map it to existing train routes because they might do too much turns that the Hyperloop couldn't replicate. So they have to go more of a straight line or a slow right. arc. So there, it's there's so many logistical nightmares you'd have to overcome with this. Yeah. The, the interior of the the train ride was another thing that struck me as being very hard to wrap my head around. And, and I mean, let's be honest, there's a part of me that also just kept thinking about snow piercer. Um, <laughs> it's it, the advantages of this kind of, ultimately the advantages all boiled down to time. That's that's that was effectively what what the advantage seemed to be for the for the user. I mean, I understand societally and on a larger scale. There's the are you saving stuff in the environment because you no longer have jets that are burning so much fuel? Yes, and I understand all of that. But yes. on a on a personal level, it seemed like it boiled it down time. to time, and in theory, and cost. in theory, cost, and that's a very personal thing that I just don't think I don't know that the environmental argument is big enough for the public to embrace something like this when it would really mm -hmm. be to the advantage right out of the gate of a very small portion of the population. The reality being that there's not, it doesn't strike me as being the every person's, desire to be able to go from San Francisco to LA in a two hour span. Of course, when it came time to do a trip like that, you would love to have that opportunity, but that really is a certain market, a smaller market that I don't know. Are they looking at this as a consumer thing or are they looking at it as shipping of goods and services? Is it not really intended for the every person to be able to make a trip, is it looking at, well, what if it was just filled with cargo canisters 
and shipping goods around the country was cheaper as opposed to looking at it as a person conveyance. Yeah. I, I think it, I think the companies would say they want it both ways. I think in reality, what you'd probably see is freight is the primary thing to start because I don't know how many people are going to be comfortable getting into pressurized tube. They can rapidly decompress. Yeah. Like I pointed that out one in the shot that you have uh, the, of the tanker yeah. that decompresses. Yeah. It's nightmarish. It's, it's nightmarish. Horrifying. I mean, you just think about the reality yeah. of, like I mentioned Snowpiercer, you have the, the crash in that movie and it is depicted as the terrifying reality of the crash is that it goes on for so long because the train was moving so fast. And that is the, the mm -hmm. terrifying moment. But now you add to that the reality of, well, what if those were pressurized cars and they were decompressing in that moment and you had something that was literally imploding or exploding? It, it would have been the end of the movie would have just been like flowing rivers of tomato soup. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's disgusting, but yeah, that's probably why it would start to be freight first. Like you'd probably build this on smaller scales. So you're not going from Los Angeles to San Francisco, but you're going from two smaller cities between for freighting for like, for like logistics, like a UP, like a UPS depot over to this other thing where you basically put it in this thing and in five minutes it's over there as opposed to taking two hours right. to get over there. So you can move things around quickly. And then you basically prove the technology out for being viable and safe. And then you kind of scale it up and do larger formats of that. That's kind of why it's like, when I say, is this thing going to happen? It's like, who knows? It's too early to tell. We're probably going to see it on smaller scale first. Mm -hmm. And then if it works and it proves out to be cost effective, then you might start seeing it ramping up. But like, I love that Korea is like, we're going to have this by, you know, 2025. And it's like, yeah, yeah. good luck. <laughs> Let's see if you can actually pull that off. <laughs> and again, it's a matter of scale. I mean, Korea talking about building something yeah. like that, they're not talking about building something the size of from San Francisco to Los Angeles. Correct. They're probably, they're talking about like two cities that are not that right. far apart. You build something between them and you, you start right. there. Yeah. Same thing with Japan and the maglev trains, the bullet trains. It's the same thing. It's a much smaller island. It's more logistically, it was easier for them to pull that off than something like in a large country like right. the United States. So I started thinking as I was watching your video about, as I mentioned, there were, there were moments as I was watching where I was like, Ugh, the logistics of real estate alone would be a nightmare. The logistics mm -hmm. of digging a tunnel when, you know, like I said, I lived here in New York when they were just trying to dig a single subway line and it was 12 years of like, we went another 17 feet. And this is something that, that is historically evident when the Brooklyn bridge was first built, it was built to be a boulevard in the sky with the intention of being, this will open up all that real estate in Brooklyn for all those workers in Manhattan. The people who are currently living in the tenements in Southern Manhattan will now have more room to live in Brooklyn. By the time the bridge was actually built, they were like, okay, that bridge is already at capacity. We need to build another yeah. one. And they started building the Manhattan bridge. And they were like, this is going to solve all these congestion issues because it's going to, all those people who are trying to get across the Brooklyn bridge will now have this bridge. It will open up this other set of neighborhoods. It will solve the problem. And as soon as the Manhattan bridge was built, it was at capacity and they were like, okay, now the Williamsburg bridge. And they just went up <laughs> the East river, starting with the Brooklyn bridge 
up and built bridge after bridge after bridge because every time they built a bridge, it was already at capacity. So, and cost overruns, expense, like all of these things always take longer. You mentioned, you know, Elon Musk comes up in this podcast and in your channel quite a bit because he is clearly as the bond villain du jour trying to push us forward in various ways. And he's doing this for all sorts of motivations. He's got personal motivations. He's got grandiose ideas about what humanity can be and should do. And he's marrying these things in ways that are, are both public and sometimes very not so public. I can't help but wonder something like, his estimates of what this thing is going to cost. I would love to know, and I don't expect you to know, but I would love to know what sort of estimates did he make in the past and how did he meet or not meet those estimates in something like producing cars, like building up his industry the way he has, Oh, it's going to cost us this much. And it's going to take that much time. And I do see him as somebody who adjusts and redirects really well. I don't, I'm not Mm -hmm. trying to throw him any sort of uh, disrespect in in that regard. I do see him as a person who is a, a fairly good barometer of what is going on and being able to say like, that's not working. Let's try this. But that's part of the history of our society of expectations, goals, not meeting them, having to change. And while all that's happening, other things that are indirect results of that work spill out and do other things. And so that's where I want to end this episode is, is hearing from you no different from the space race. Yeah. Industry driven in a certain direction to do a very, very specific thing. We are going to land a man on the moon ended up driving technologies as independent, indirect byproducts of that drive. And for me, in looking at the Hyperloop video, you asked the question, would you like to live in the sci-fi future? And of course, sure, I'll live in a sci-fi future. You know, let me pick which one I get to live in, but I'd I'd pick a sci-fi future that had Hyperloop trains. But I don't see them right now, standing where I am. I don't see them as a reality. And I don't see them as a reality doesn't mean... In the comments, there were some people who were saying, oh, people said the same things about cars. Like somebody in your comments would say, like, this is unrealistic. And then somebody's response would be, well, that's what they first said about cars and trains. Yep. And I don't think that that's necessarily, uh, I don't think that's necessarily a, the right argument or the argument that I'm trying to make. What I'm trying to ask you is, what do you see going into the research and the drive for this technology? that may not end up with hyperloop trains, but could result in some other advancement somewhere else. Something that is going into the research that will suddenly say like, Oh, we can't do that with a hyperloop train, but look what that technology did over here. Did you see anything? Did you come across anything in your research that pointed to some of those results? I kind of already alluded to it. And I, I probably should do a better job in my videos about this because when I talk about some of these things, I may come across as overly positive sometimes, but I tend to w- wade in the gray areas of these technologies. The reason I talk about them in a very hopeful way is I love just the thinking behind this and the ingenuity behind it and the 
understand how and why they work and why people are trying to do this kind of stuff. And in the case of the Hyperloop, I honestly do not think I will ever ride on a Hyperloop train in my lifetime. It's like, I'd, it's not to say that they're not going to happen. I just don't think I'll, I'll ever be on one because I've never been on a maglev train. They exist, but not anywhere near me. Um, so it's like one of those, I don't think I'll ever be on one. Uh, there are so many things for the, this technology to overcome that they may never be able to do it in the next 10 years or 20 years because we don't have the know-how to do it. But as you pointed out, that doesn't mean that there's not going to be benefits that come out of this. So for me, when I was doing, when we were doing the research, it wasn't just me. I have researchers that help me with this. When we were doing research around this, it, uh, the things that jumped out at me were, this is basically just a glorified gigantic, like what, what like pneumatic tubes. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, like you're going to the bank and you put your thing in a little thing and you put it in the thing and it goes, yep. boom, and it goes away. Or basically that's basically what this is. And so at, at a certain extent, this is older technology that's getting kind of scaled up in this crazy way. And it's like, we may not get all the way up to people sized hyperloops, but like I alluded to earlier, it's like we could get to something that's maybe kind of a moderately sized hyperloop system that is just built on city scale. So like you're not going between Los Angeles and San Francisco, but you're going around San Francisco. You're going from the East side to the West side of New York in the blink of an eye. It's being used for things like, uh, transporting freight and goods between different sections of a city very quickly and efficiently. And when you get, when you look at it that way, you can see what Elon's goals are with the boring company. Cause he talks about building these loops within a city and they're not going to be going 700 miles an hour, but they, you could potentially drive your car. Like, you know, like you have you like a, a boat that takes you across a canal it's like you drive your car into like this little machine that lowers you underground and you get on this like little trolley thing that shoots you through an underground tunnel at 200 miles an hour, bypassing all the, the street traffic. And then at the end, you come out of the tunnel at the other side and drive away. It's like, that's the kind of stuff I see this potentially leading towards more than something that could say, take you from across the country in a gigantic, massive hyperloop. So I do believe elements of this technology will show up in ways that are unexpected. Will it end up like the big grand vision of the hyperloop? I like you brought up. It's like, there's so many logistical challenges with the real estate and like safety issues. And how the hell do you keep a pressurized tube? That's 700 miles long pressurized. How does that yeah. even work? It's like, there's so many, ah, but if you're talking about something that's a few miles long, suddenly it becomes a little more doable and a little more achievable. And if it's not as large and it's not carrying people, it's like, there's all these different things that make it potentially viable right. that I think we'll probably see. Yeah. And I'm in talking about advances in shipping advances in this kind of transportation technology. I can't help but think the best laid plans sometimes go asunder. Yeah. And I'm reminded of the ongoing story of the ship in the Suez Canal, which <laughs> yes. for, for people who might not be aware, a extremely large uh, cargo ship apparently got confused during its, in it, in during its navigating of the Suez Canal and it ran aground. Yeah. And it ran aground in a location that effectively is shutting down shipping to a very large degree in the Suez Canal, which is 
one of the most trafficked hubs of shipping in the world. And I don't know if you saw this, Matt, but somebody looked at the GPS data of the ship and they didn't yeah. think that there was anything yep. nefarious going on. But the path that the ship took inadvertently created the classic image of an era, which is the phallus and testicle shape, the dick and balls, its path inadvertently <laughs> created that. No different than moments where weather reporters on local news stations are on their yeah. map and they draw inadvertently like, well, the fog is going to come in here and then it's going to focus around this area and they inadvertently draw uh, a dirty image on their green screen. This ship did something similar to that. Um, so I'm just reminded of, we live in an era where we have tremendous technology, but sometimes you still end up with a dick and balls. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> just to add to that one thing, did you hear that, that, that ship is costing $400 million an hour in losses? Mm -hmm. Yeah. An hour, just the scale of the money that is getting lost by all yeah. these companies yeah. every hour it's going by. Somewhere, somewhere there is somebody who owns that ship and that person is just going, yes. oh my God. Yeah. My insurance <laughs> is not going to cover this. <laughs> so transitioning from our discussion of the Hyperloop, we'll move on to... Our usual topic at the end of our episodes where we talk about movies and TV shows and other things we may be watching or doing to pass the time. And Matt, I'm flipping a coin. You'll never guess. It's in the air. Uh -oh. Call it. Tails. Oh, it's heads. Tails. You lose. That means I have okay. to go first. So I will start off with, in no particular order, just throwing out a few things that I've watched recently. Uh, I mentioned at the beginning of the episode the brief conversation with our listener, Bill, who talked about WandaVision. And I have now finished WandaVision. And I wanted to circle back real quick and touch on something that we talked about previously. And I, and I think that I may have miscommunicated what I was trying to say. Effectively, like the way comic books would tell a story and then there would be crossovers and collective storytelling in special mini series episodes or mini series issues. Mm -hmm. What I see Marvel doing and, and DC is in the same path. They are trying to tell more detailed and intimate stories on the series level. Yes. And that's what I was trying to say. I think what I inadvertently did in our previous conversation was give the idea that somehow it was a smaller story. And that is not what I was trying to say. Yeah, it's definitely not. So intimate. Yeah, right intimacy about, yeah. in the storytelling is what this was about. And uh, I won't rehash everything. And I, I don't think that you need to rehash the things you've said previously. I think that the storytelling in the series was extremely strong. I think that they hit a lot of amazing moments with being able to create a really a whole new direction for what is going to be coming in the Marvel cinematic mm -hmm. universe. And I'm very, very excited. And I kept 
being reminded of some storytelling in the Marvel universe that was taking place. I'm trying to remember exactly when it was. I think it was in, it was in the early two thousands. Um, they did a whole storyline where the Scarlet witch effectively disappeared all the mutants. And it was a storyline in which her power was scaled up and they did a bit, a bit of retconning around the character. And that was all in the comic books. I kept going back to that during the series and the stuff that they yeah. do with her. There really is an A storyline and a B storyline. The A storyline is her. The B storyline is the vision and visions is mm-hmm. no less impactful. And what they've set up with yeah. his character, I think is equally impactful and there are some big picture introductions of motivations from other characters and descriptions of other characters within the Marvel universe that I can't wait to see how it resonates moving forward. So I go back to bill, keep watching. I think you'll enjoy it. By the time you get through episodes four, five, and six, you see that the snowball is running full speed down the hill. It's collecting all sorts of momentum. And by the time you get to the end, you get some really neat moments and the introduction of, I would say, three big ideas that are going to have impacts in movies moving forward and TV series moving forward. Yes. And you also get new characters that I can't wait to see again in future storytelling. Um FBI, yeah, all the yeah. threads that they, all the threads that they laid down when they tried to do stuff like that in the movies, it overburdens the movie and the movie ends up kind of flubbing. This did not detract all the threads they laid down did not detract from the intimate storytelling yeah. of Scarlet Witch and, and Vision and all that kind of stuff. It didn't detract at all. And it's kind of genius how the they, way they weaved it in. And so when it's all said and done, I am genuinely excited of like, wow, there's like a dozen things they laid out and new characters and major plot lines that it's like, we're going to see in the next movies with Dr. Strange yeah. and all this kind of stuff that's going to unfold. That's going to be really cool and exciting. And it's just, yeah. it was so brilliant. Five or done, six years of storytelling from now will story. have its origins largely here. And I think here, yeah, this is, and this is, I think really, really exciting. I think I'm, 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 I was yeah. very impressed. Um, another thing I wanted to mention, uh, the poly plat, filmography watch continues Still going. we are now yes. we're past the halfway mark so we're 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 going to be finishing it up in um probably a couple months time but the most recent film was a little film i don't know if our listeners have heard of it it's called say anything oh geez. and yeah i mean i'm not going to say anything that's i don't have to say anything else about it it's just like it's say anything and if you grew up in the 80s, you, yeah, <laughs> this yeah. movie is like ingrained in and all of us. My girlfriend was uh, – we use a couple of different apps to look for films that are streaming and where we can find them quickly. And like you can look something up on one of these apps and like Just Watch is one I like using. And you can look up a film and it will be like it's on these platforms. It's available here. And that includes not only streaming apps but also rental sites and purchase sites. So it's a good way to – you know, you don't have one app that is, you know, like Netflix is not going to tell you what's on Hulu. So this is the way to fill in that, that question mark of how do I find that? Um, 
say anything was not available for streaming on any service currently. So we ended up having to rent it. And before renting it, I suggested to my girlfriend, I said, instead of renting it, I could just act out the entire movie line by line for you because I know <laughs> all so these times. beats. I know every single scene. Yeah. And I was quietly under my breath, uh, whispering lines to myself prior to them being said in the film, which I had to watch because I knew that was going to bug the shit out of her. Um, but one of the fun moments for me, and it was, again, we're getting older. We were watching the movie and one of my favorite characters in the movie, going back to when I was a teenager and watching this movie, one of my favorite characters is John Mahoney as Ines Guy's father. And I suddenly let out a little gasp and said, huh, in the reality of this movie and potentially in the reality of when the movie was made, John Mahoney was probably my age. Oh, jeez. And Sarah looked it up. Yes. And John Mahoney was exactly my age when he made that movie. So watching a movie about the old dad who's doing things to help his daughter and he ends up creating a criminal mess for himself and seeing that it's somebody who was my age, I suddenly was on the other side of the fence watching this movie and saying, <laughs> I still identify with John Cusack. Did it, cha- did it change your take of the movie seeing it like on this, on the other side of the ladder with the fence that you're on now? Did it, did you walk away from the film with a different interpretation than you did when you saw it a lot as a kid? I think, And I think this is, I think that's a very good question. And I think that there's a couple of reasons for why my answer is what it is. No, I think that there are a lot of people who say things like catch on the rye is one of the best novels I've ever read. And a lot of people will ask, well, have you read it recently? Most Mm -hmm. people our age read catch on the rye because it was assigned in high school. And then people who try to revisit it as adults very often have a very different take on the story because it doesn't work for an adult. It's written about a kid who is effectively from certain people's readings as an adult. He's whiny. He's entitled. Like this is not a hero Mm -hmm. and say anything has, I think a different hits differently. And I, for me, I feel like it's because it's a generational story of a gap between the boomers and the Gen Xers. And that was not in the lexicon at that time. We didn't talk about it in those ways. But when I watched it as a 50 year old man, I was still looking at John Cusack's character in the dinner scene where he says, I don't want to make anything. I don't want to sell anything. and I don't want to process anything. I don't want to make anything sold or processed. I don't want to sell anything made or processed. And I don't want to process anything made bought. And it's that looping conversation where he's just saying over and over again, I don't know what I want and I don't know how to get there. So I'm just kind of feeling my way through this. And as a 50 year old, I still identify with that. And I feel like that's a generational thing. I think that John Mahoney's character, 
I can't, I can appreciate him. And when I was younger, I looked at him with that kind of, he had a charm and he had a desire to do the right thing and was doing the wrong things every single time, but for what he thought was good reasons. But I found myself not now thinking, oh, I've done that. I found myself still thinking, yeah, John Cusack's character's got it. You don't know what you want. You don't know how to get there. Even at the age I am, I still feel very much of that era. And I feel like our generation, it continues to resonate. And I really don't know. I did not show this movie to my 15-year-old son. I don't know what his response would be to it. I really don't know. Um, But I really enjoyed watching it. I think as a movie, it still holds up. And maybe it just holds up because it's so nostalgic for me. But uh, I did enjoy it. So those were the two things I wanted to talk about today. Yeah, the the one thing I'm going to bring up, it's kind of related to WandaVision, is the new Marvel show. I'm really enjoying what Disney is doing right now because it feels like the Friday nights, I mean, Fridays now for probably from now until Armageddon are just going to be a nonstop stream of, oh, new Star Wars show for the next eight weeks. Oh, new Marvel show for the next six weeks. Oh, a new Star Wars show. It feels like Fridays are just going to be like a joyous weekend day of, oh, a new fun Disney thing is coming on Disney Plus. So I'm enjoying that ride right now. Uh, The Falcon and Winter Soldier started up and we're two episodes into that and i don't know if i would say i like it as much as i liked wandavision at this point but i like what they're doing and i don't know if you've have you watched it yet i was focused on finishing up wandavision and i wanted to start uh that show this coming week because this because this is not going to give anything i'm not gonna give any plot away but i my jaw dropped in the first 10 minutes of the show because I'm watching the show going, how much money did they spend making mm. this? Because it looks like there's an action sequence that happens in the first 10 minutes that looks like anything you would see in any Avengers movie, in any superhero film, crazy special effects, like just action packed sequence that was like, what? is it's like it, it's like disney coming out and just like flexing and their shirt rips open like look what we can do, do you think it's being filmed in the same way it makes the mandalorian every, is in front of that i i would not be CG surprised screen. because it's all disney it would not be it, i would not surprise me if they're doing similar things because the scale of production that they are pulling off on tv shows which rivals films disney is basically setting a new bar for what's expected out of TV shows from here on out. And nobody is matching them right now. And so I was just just gobsmacked at the production quality of the show of, okay, you know, with WandaVision, it came across immediately as, okay, this is going to be a little, a little, um, like you said, intimate storytelling. It's around her and her mind breaking and her emotional state of being. And you understood that in the first episode or two with Falcon and Winter Soldier. It's like, oh, this is an action packed action adventure story. We're going to see for six episodes. This is going to be like watching, you know, any kind of spy thriller. It looks like it looks like Mission Impossible to me. 
it looks like the Mission Impossible movies yes. where it's like, and now they're trapped yes. on the outside of this train and it's hurtling off the track and it's heading toward this bridge. And it's like the scale of the special yes. effects just from the ads that I've seen has looked like, okay, this is a Mission Impossible movie, which is, like you said, astounding for television. But at the same time, they're pulling that trick of now that it's a TV show, we can take time with the characters and give them longer beats and moments so that we can get to know them as people, not just action heroes. And so you get this big action sequence, but then you get Anthony Mackie, who I love as an actor. I think he's really good. You're getting a, a story that's being told that is hammering a point across about the difference in people's perspectives of life, of what it's like to be black in America and how he's viewed and how he recognizes how he's viewed and struggles of his family. And it's, it has something to say. It's not doing it in a way that's jamming it down your throat, but it's very, I am so impressed with the social message it has, as well as just being an incredible action film. And then also having this great relationship between Bucky and Falcon with the two of them not exactly getting along. And they have this kind of lethal weapon kind of like, yeah, they kind of have a grudging, you know, respect for each other, but they really don't like each other. And so there's this constant competitiveness between the two of them. So there's a lot of humor that's starting to come out of that. You're getting to understand Bucky, like in a way that you don't get in the films. And like the, the, the whole thing of Captain America giving the shield to Anthony Mackie saying, you're the next Captain America. And basically he's saying, I, I, I don't think I deserve it. He just basically backs away yeah. from it. And so this you can tell this entire show is going to be dealing with the ramifications of that choice of him basically saying, I, I don't feel like I'm worthy of being Captain right. America and what comes out of that. It is such a cool show. I'm not saying it's great. There's, it, I think it's, it's still finding its footing and we're two episodes in. So it's kind of like where WandaVision, it took like three episodes before it was like, okay, I get what mm -hmm. you're doing. I have a feeling the same thing is going to happen with this, where it's like halfway in, we're going to start to feel like, okay, I see what they're laying down now, but it's a fun, just action packed show. I'm, I cannot be more excited about what Disney is doing. If this is what they're going to be delivering week in and week out for the coming years with all their properties, I'm in, I'm, 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 perfectly happy to spend my weekends watching every show that they put out because it's so yeah. much fun yeah i hear what you're saying it's it's uh the story arcs that they have lined up are very exciting and i'm definitely yeah. i'm definitely on board as well and can't wait to start that show so our listeners should tell us what they think has anybody else out there been enjoying the falcon and winter soldier or is it like, like Bill, are you still trying to paddle your way through WandaVision? You'll get there, Bill. <laughs> you can do it. Tell us what you think. You can find our contact information in the podcast description on YouTube. You can visit the comments directly below the video. Please do subscribe wherever you are checking us out. We really appreciate it. And don't forget, you can visit stilltbd.fm. And you'll find the support the podcast link there if you want to support us directly. You can support us in a number of ways. You can leave a rating. You can leave a review. You can share us with your friends. All of that really does help the podcast. And then the podcast helps the channel. The channel helps Matthew. And then Matthew tells me I need to catch up on these shows. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next time.